Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 24. I encourage you to turn there in your Bible. We're just going to cover this one verse this morning before we kind of head into a new section. Uh, but it's a really, really important verse. And so since it's just one verse, if you don't have your Bible, we've got it up on the screen. Uh, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Listen, no one can serve two masters. Either he's going to hate one, he's going to love the other, or he's going to be devoted to the one, and he's going to despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. And so, uh, based off that verse, we've really got three things I want to share with you this morning, three truths uh, that we can take away from this passage. And we're just going to jump in with both feet, if you don't mind. Here's the first one. I want you to see this morning that, that love for wealth is one of the oldest and saddest forms of idolatry. Love for wealth is one of the oldest and saddest forms of idolatry. And that last word there is a big one, idolatry. You might underline that uh, because that's really what we're talking about this morning. That's at the heart of what we're talking about. Now, I want to be honest with you guys. Uh, If you you take a class in ethics or in Christian ethics, you're going to learn pretty early on. um, Money is, is what we would call amoral. Okay, money itself, the physical stuff we have in our wallet, the greenbacks, the, the, the coins in our purse, right, the, the money in, in our, our checking account, money is amoral. It doesn't have morality attached to it, really, okay? It, it's amoral. If you want an example of that in the Old Testament, um, when uh, the Israelites are returning from captivity, uh, you remember there's a guy, uh, there's a king named Cyrus, and basically he funds the entire rebuilding of the temple. That's what Cyrus does. Now, Cyrus wasn't really a good guy. Okay, so God takes this this kind of bad guy's money and he uses it for really good purposes. Right. That's why if you know, I, I had somebody when I first came, uh, I think in the search process, they said, well, pastor, what would you do if somebody won the lottery? Would you accept their tithe? You betcha, brother. Absolutely. Listen, if Marlboro suddenly if the head of Marlboro felt guilty about all the cancer they caused and said, we want to do something and build a really great church and they donated that money. You know what you do? You'd build a really great church and you tell people about Jesus and you'd feed the sick and the needy and the hurting and you would have clothes for the poor. That's what you would do. Why? Because money's amoral. Okay. so this passage isn't talking about money specifically, but what it does say is it talks about the desire for money. And guys, when it comes to the desire for money, the love of money, the lust of money, the pursuit of money, the pursuit of wealth, the Bible does not pull any punches at all. It calls it idolatry. And so look with me there in your text, verse 24, the very last sentence that Jesus speaks, okay? The very last sentence there, he says this, you cannot serve both God and money. Now look at that verse in your Bible with me if you don't mind, and see if you see anything that stands out there to you. Look at that word money. Does that seem weird to you in your Bible? Anything different about it? It's capitalized. Isn't that a little strange? When you write a sentence about money, do you usually capitalize it? Right? Right? I I, I went to the bank and I deposited my money. We don't don't do that, right? Mainly because we don't have money. We have money. Um, (laughs) Went to the bank and I deposited all my money. Uh, and, uh, right, so, so here's the deal. Why, why is it capitalized? If, if, as, as New Testament readers, as inquiring minds, when we study the Bible, these are questions we should ask ourselves. Why on earth in this passage is money capitalized? What is that about? And I'll tell you. Now, here, I love the NIV. I like it because it's thought for thought. It's, it, it, it's just kind of our plain language. I, I, I like it here, but it kind of lets us down in its translation because it actually translates this word. It still helps us out because it gives us the capital M. But I'll tell you, you know, in the original Greek, that is not a translated word. 
it's a, it, it, it's a word that is transliterated. It means it took it from Aramaic, and instead of translating it to mean something, it just, it just moved it right on over into the Greek. It transliterated it. It, it, it. It's an actual title is what it is. Now, some people think that this, this... Oh, and by the way, the title is Mamnon. Mamnon. It says you can't serve both God and Mamnon. And, and, and some people, well, well, who is this Mamnon? Now, some people think he was an early Syrian god. There's not a lot of historical documentation for that. But here's what there is historical documentation for. You see, we believe the early church did not translate this term because they saw Mamnon as an idol. As an idol. You see, what they're saying is if you live for the pleasures of this world, if you live for money, if you love wealth, then you're worshiping an idol. You're bowing down to an idol. And his name is Mamnon. Now, why is that idolatry? Why, what, Pastor, really, is that wrong? I mean, is it so wrong to want to have a little extra? I mean, come on, Pastor. Is that wrong? Well, I'll tell you why it's wrong. Here's the deal. Because when we love money, we love stuff, we love possessions, and we begin to pursue them, here's why it's idolatry. Because as we do that... When we love money, when we pursue them, we start pursuing, honoring, and elevated, elevating the created things rather than the Creator Himself. Let me say that again. This is why it's idolatry. When, when we love, when we live for stuff, then when we start pursuing, honoring, and elevating created things rather than the Creator Himself. Paul writes about this in the book of Romans. Let's turn there together. I, w- I want you to see exactly what I'm talking about this morning. Romans chapter 1. Uh, Romans chapter 1. We're going to start about verse 18. Romans chapter 1. I'll give you a second to turn there. And, and Paul's writing on this exact subject about worshiping the created things instead of the creator himself and why that's called idolatry. He says in verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse." For although they know God, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Get this verse 24 and 25. Therefore, God gave them over. In the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged, this is what you need to underline, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. You see, that's, that's what idolatry is. That's the heart of idolatry. It's when uh, we take the blessings of God, which we should be praising God for, and, and we begin pursuing them to the point that we actually exclude God altogether. Maybe you know somebody like that. There are even church people like this, folks. They're constantly looking for the blessing. And so they're seeking out the blessing, and, and in their, their seeking out of the blessing, they end up excluding God altogether. 
That's what idolatry is. When we start serving and running after the created things rather than giving praise to the creator, that is idolatry. That's exactly what this passage is talking about. Now, I'll give you a modern day example, okay? I'm going to give you a phrase. We use this phrase in America today all the time. Ready? You ever heard it? The almighty dollar. Right? Right? You heard it, right? The almighty, especially if you've ever watched The Apprentice with Donald Trump, right? All about the almighty dollar. You know, we got some money, 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 money. Okay? I'm the only one that knows that song. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. I just didn't sing it right. That's what it was, right? That's why we leave that up to Alan. Uh, all right, so, so, so the almighty dollar, what is that? Well, that's idolatry. Why is that idolatry? Why is that phrase an example of idolatry? Because we're ascribing to money, we're ascribing to money an attribute that only God deserves. Only God is almighty, friends. O- only God is holy. O- only, only God is elevated. The dollar's not elevated. So when we pursue something and we give it that kind of place in our life, that is idolatry. Because we're, we're putting it on a pedestal that it never deserved to be on, okay? Guys, this, this was the great problem of the rich young ruler. Do you remember that? We talked about him a few weeks ago. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He says, Lord, what must I do to be saved? Right? And, and Jesus looks at him and says, well, well, you know, read the scriptures. Well, I've studied them my whole life. Well, keep, keep the commandments. Well, I've, I'm already doing that. So get this. This guy is already doing more than many Christians I know. He's studying the Bible. And he's actually living it out. Woo! Sorry. Wasn't trying to step on your toes. I'm just saying. I've been there. Been right there. Often find myself back there. So this guy's doing all those things. And this is what Jesus says to him. He says, but I'm already doing that. What do I have to do? He says, oh, well, fine. Then go and sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor. And it says this guy, he's so close to eternal life. He is so close to entering into the kingdom of God. It says, but then he turns, understanding what he has to do, and he walks away. I think it's the saddest story in all of scripture. He's so close, and yet he walks away. And why did he walk away? Because of the pursuit of money. He, he, he walked away because of the, the pursuit of money. He couldn't give up the pursuit of wealth for the pursuit of Jesus. See, that's... That's exactly what we're talking about. Love for wealth is one of the oldest and saddest forms of idolatry. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Number two, I want you to see this morning that Christians should never be possessed by their possessions. Christians should never be possessed by their possessions. There's a great warning about materialism and greed and the desire for money here in this verse. And I I want you to listen closely and see if you can catch it. I'm even going to help you. I'm going to give extra emphasis to it, okay? The beginning of verse 24. Dramatic pause. Now catch it. I'm going to emphasize it. No one can serve two masters. Did you get it? Did, did you see what it's talking about? No one can serve two masters. That word master is important. In, in Greek, it literally means owner, lord, or master. It involves being possessed. That's what it involves. No one can be possessed by two people is what, what Jesus is saying. Now, guys, this isn't talking about working two jobs. Many of us have done that, right? It's not talking about having multiple responsibilities or wearing two hats or, or multiple hats. We all do that. We all have multiple responsibilities. And now this is my church hat and this is my family hat. And this is, you know, we all have all kinds of responses. It's not talking about that. It's talking about being owned 
by two different people. And the scripture says, guess what? That doesn't work. You can't belong to two different people. You can't have two different lords. You cannot have two different people that own you. As a Christian, we should only have one Lord. His name is Jesus. That's it. That's it. That's what the scripture would teach us. And he, according to scripture, according to the biblical witness, he came to set the captives. That's you and me. He came to set the captives free. Our master came to set us free. Now follow me, but all too often, we who have been set free start to desire the things of the world that used to keep us enslaved. And and so we who've been set free from the bondage of sin begin to look around us. That's called coveting, by the way. We walk to the edge of the fence and we look at how green our neighbor's grass is and we go, oh my gosh, I wish I could have grass that green. And we we begin to look at their house and we think, oh, they have that extra bedroom, you know, like like and I'm not saying this isn't just okay. The bedroom will be a lady example. I'll get to the guys in a second. Then they look, oh my gosh, they have that extra bedroom where she can do all of her craft things. She has a whole scrapbooking room. What that sounds like to me, excess. Uh, Anyway, but the guys were just as bad, right? We look and go, oh my goodness, have you seen his garage? Man, there's no car that goes in there. That I could pull my boat into that garage sideways. It's awesome. Have you seen his workbench? Man, that sucker, it runs for, for, for 25 feet and everything's in its place. Ah, ah, ah. Huh? Get all excited. You know what that's called? That's called coveting. That's called coveting. See, here's the deal, guys. We, though we've been set free by, by, by Christ, though we've broken, he, he literally has come and broken the chains of our bondage, we still look and we begin to covet the things that once enslaved us. And so as Christians, we begin to say, but I need that bigger house. I want that bigger house. And I, I want a newer car, right? And I need a, a newer body, especially right in this area. Just, what's the deal, man? Every sit up in the world. Come on, brother. Something. So we begin to want what we don't have. And next thing you know, we begin to buy what we don't need. And before we know it, we become overcommitted, overextended, and overdrawn. Before we know it, all of our possessions possess us. And friend, as a fellow brother in Christ, I just want to say we weren't made for that kind of life. Jesus came to set us free from that kind of stuff. He came to to break us out of that kind of of lifestyle. That's why He came. I I think Paul might say it best in Galatians 5. Why don't you turn there? Let's read this together. We're going to read Galatians 5, verse 1. Galatians 5, verse 1. And Paul is talking about this exact thing that we've been set free and and made free by Jesus on purpose and, and, and for a reason. Galatians 5.1, he says this, he says, Man, it is for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and, and don't let yourselves be burdened. Don't, don't let yourselves, it literally means be enslaved again. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. It says Christ came to set you free. Don't go back to slavery. You, you, you were set free in Jesus. So don't return to that stuff. And that's the warning of our text today. We, we, we've been made free in Jesus. 
Don't find yourself enslaved again. Don't, don't find yourself there. Christians should never be possessed by their possessions. They should never care so much about stuff that they overextend themselves, overcommit themselves, find themselves overdrawn, overworked. It's not what we're meant for. Okay? Number three. Number three. Uh, I want you to see, according to our text today, Matthew six twenty four. That if we're devoted to money, we will despise Jesus. If we're devoted to money, we will despise Jesus. It's just the truth of Scripture. Jesus says, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and he will despise the other. I think it's funny today in modern day church, we forget. You know, we we just kind of think in in modern day life, well, everybody should love Jesus, right? Right? I mean, don't, don't you get offended when somebody doesn't want to hear you talk about Jesus? Well, how, how could you not want to hear about Jesus? I mean, he's Jesus. Come on. We, we, we feel like every... But, but we forget how Jesus was treated, right? I was reading John 15 this week. Uh, John 15. This, this is what Jesus says. Maybe you remember these words. Uh, he says, listen, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And we forget that as modern day believers. We forget just how many people hated our Lord and Savior. He was hated. And he goes on in John 15, 22. He tells his disciples why he's being hated. He says, listen, listen if I had not come and spoken to them, they wouldn't be guilty of their sin. But now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. You see, Jesus came and he called people to the carpet. And they hated him. They despised him for it. Think about, think about some people groups that despised him. I thought about the money changers in the temple. You remember those guys? They, they'd entered into the temple and they'd made a really good business there in the church. See, they, 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 they were seen as, 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 oh, look at the great service they're providing. These men and women are traveling some, from, from so far away. And when they get here, they've got different kinds of money. And look at what a service. Man, how convenient is that? You, can, you, don't, have to, you don't have to go exchange your money outside the timber walls. You just come right inside and you can exchange your money right here. And you know what? You don't have to cart that animal with you for the sacrifice. You don't have to bring your best animal for from your house, you just come on to the temple and we'll sell you one. Of course, the one we sell you will be lame and deaf and blind, everything that God says you can't sacrifice. And oh, by the way, we're going to charge you about 10 times what that one at home costs you, but it's a convenience for you. So these money changers are in the temple and they're making a great business out of God's church. And there they are in the temple and they're exchanging for them, but, but they're exchanging at rates where they're just making money hand over fist. And Jesus walks up to these people in the temple who everybody thinks they're providing such a great service and they're just going on about their worship of God. And he comes up and he picks up their tables in, in an act of godly rage and he just throws them over. Money flies everywhere. Dead doves that are blind and rotten and everywhere. And he says, listen, my father's house is to be a house of prayer and you've made it a den of robbers. Get out of here. You can, you can, you can hear it in his voice. You know what? You think they praised him for it? You think they started a new fan club? Oh, we love Jesus now. They hated him for it. They hated him for it. It's just like Paul, right? When, when he healed the demon-possessed girl, he said, shut up. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, people got so mad they tried to kill him. 
People hated Jesus. Money changers hated him. Luke 16 is an interesting story because it ties in with our Matthew 6, uh, 24 passage. Luke 16, Jesus is telling a parable about a shrewd manager. It's one of those parables we don't really understand that well. You know, usually we're like, what, what? This guy, it looks like Jesus is commending this guy for being a cheat, right? Uh, the guy's going to get fired by his manager. And so he calls all the people that he owes money to and says, hey, listen, I'll make, I'll make you only owe like 400, okay? And then, and then maybe you'll treat me kind and I'll, I'll, I'll cut your debt to this much. And we're kind of like, well, doesn't that, that doesn't seem good. Well, Jesus is actually applauding him for planning ahead, by the way. Okay, and so so we kind of we kind of get through this. Here's the deal that that parable of the shrewd manager, he's telling it to the Pharisees and it, and it ends literally the, the parable. He ends it by saying this. No one can serve two masters. Either he will uh, hate one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He says the same thing we find here in Matthew six twenty four. says the same thing exactly. And here's the deal. Luke sixteen eighteen tells us. Exactly why he said it. Luke 16, 18, it says the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and they sneered at Jesus. They were sneering at Jesus. That, that word, it literally means that they began to speak with contempt, that they started to ridicule Jesus. You see, Jesus knew their hearts and he called them to the carpet. They were devoted to money and so they despised Jesus. Guys, This is where the rubber meets the road. This is why fringe followers will always fade away. Because the teachings of Jesus aren't easy, are they? Because Jesus said, listen, you want to follow me? That's awesome. Come follow me. But I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. Son of man doesn't have any place to lay his head. He said, listen, you want to follow me? That's great. But follow me now. Don't don't follow me on your timetable. This is on my time. Follow me now. They said, but Lord, I need to go home and get my house in order. I've got to bury my dad and I've got to, I've got to go take care of my fields. He said, no, 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 no. You misunderstand me. Now is your time. Now. Jesus looked at people and said, that's fine. You want to follow me? Come and follow me. But you know what? You haven't even experienced love yet. You see, what I have for you What I will give to you, the way you will have to feel about me, will be a new definition of love for you, so that you must look at everybody you thought you loved, and the way that you feel about them compared to how you feel about me can, can only be described as hate. And it says the crowds, they vanished. The crowds, they stopped following. They walked away. And hear me now. If we don't guard our hearts, if we don't guard our hearts, we will walk away too. Because if you love this world, if you love your possessions, if you love wealth, you will despise Jesus. You will. You won't be able to handle his teachings. It'll create civil unrest in your soul and you'll walk away just like they did. That's the warning. It's a big one. Now that all the air has been sucked out of the room. Is that weighing on you like it's weighing on me? That's not a, that's not a light teaching. So what do we do with that? I'm, I'm going to tell you. I, I hope this helps. All right. I think as we study the text, this is what we find. Number one. I'd say to you, if you're here. See, some of you, you, you knew it as we even began 
talking about it. The Holy Spirit's been tugging on your heart. Uh, by the way, that feels like a mini heart attack. Uh, if you're, you may not be having a heart attack. It may just be the Spirit of God trying to convict you right now, okay? Feels like, oh my gosh, what did I eat this morning? Um, I, I like to describe, I always describe, man, when the Holy Spirit's trying to get a hold of me, it literally feels like there is a fish hook in my chest. Uh, have you ever hooked yourself fishing, anybody? It is not cool, by the way. It is not cool. And then has anybody ever pulled on the rod when it is stuck in you? Also not cool, okay? Been there, done that. Um, if, if you've ever experienced anything close to that, I think when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us, it's, it's kind of that way. It's almost agonizing. You know it. You know God's calling you to change. You can feel it. Some of you are feeling it right now. And listen, I don't know what it is, but I know that there are people that you walk through that door and the truth is, though Jesus has set you free, at some point you entered back into that slavery and that bondage of this world. And maybe maybe it's what we're talking about. Maybe it's the pursuit of stuff. And, and maybe that's you, man. You you, you, you just felt like, i got to have the bigger house. i got to have the nicer car. Maybe maybe what's, what's, what's really holding you in bondage this morning is debt. And you're going to have to just cry out to God and say, okay, I need help. But maybe maybe it's something bigger than than that. Maybe there's some sin in your life and, and, and you know that Christ saves you, but now you're currently living in sin and, and you know what it is. You know it. You feel it. You sense it. He's been calling you to it. I mean, it feels like an elephant sitting on your chest. It's not just that you have COPD. It's the Holy Spirit trying to get a hold of you and you need to break free. But hear me now, you can't do it by yourself. So this is what you do. When we talk about breaking free, you come to Jesus. He has come to set the captives free. And I believe that he who has come to set the captives free still has the power to set the captives free. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling and you feel like some sin has got you held captive, I'm here to tell you that the same Jesus that offered freedom then offers freedom today. Right now in this moment, you've just got to reach for it. He'll set you free. He will set you free. So break free. Let's start there. Number two, if you are free, if you are free, can I implore you, please stand firm. Please stand firm. All right. Get away from the fence. Stop looking at your neighbor. All right. Don't try to keep up with the Joneses. Stop it. Here's the deal. I shared this this morning. Most of you probably don't know this about me. Uh, my undergrad degree is in business. Uh, specifically, I was just about a marketing major. I was like one class short. And so uh, I was at a school that, um, well, in truth, you should hear the whole story. I was a terrible student. I attended five universities, uh, uh, some at multiple times. At one point, I was in three different colleges, uh, all the same semester. Awesome. No, it was terrible. Uh, but uh, I when when... The Lord saved me, and I, I met my beautiful wife, and, and uh, he opened my eyes, and I was like, yep, I'm going to marry her. And all, my, all of a sudden, things got fixed, and she's like, you know you need to go to class. I was like, go to class? That's what you do in college? <laughs> uh, so I started, you know, like studying and stuff. It was crazy. And, uh, and so, so I started, so I was going to be a marketing major. So we, uh, we got engaged, and we set a date. We, I was going to graduate in December. We we're going to get married in January. Whew. Boom, it was all right there. So I, I, you can imagine my very last semester, there were two classes that you had to have to graduate. And one of them was supposed to be a prereq for the other, but the dean had always signed off on it. That was like his tradition. And the semester I was supposed to graduate, he changed his mind. 
and he wouldn't sign off on the prereq anymore. So I switched to general business and uh, had to take some kind of healthcare administration class and another math class I was super thrilled about. But I was like, I'm going to marry her. It doesn't matter, whatever. And, uh, and so did it and, and graduated. So, but here's the deal. I, this is what I, I learned in all of my time in marketing. Ready? We live in a world in which people make a bunch of stuff. And you know their goal is not to give you stuff that you need. That's not the world's goal. The world's goal is to sell you stuff that they have. That's their goal. They're not here to give you what you need. They're not even here to give you what you want. They're here to make you think you need what they have. So that they can make money. That's the world that we live in. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. In a world that is full of marketing, you need to stand firm. In a world that tells you that you've got to have a certain kind of house for status, you need to stand firm. In a world that says that you've got to drive a car that's at least this new, you've got to stand firm. In a world that says that you've got to have all of the comforts and luxuries of life, you're going to have to learn how to stand firm. Because if you don't, you're going to be like the average American. And I'm sorry if I think Christians are called to be above average. Sorry. I don't think Jesus was average. I think he was exceptional. And if you're not careful, you'll be like the average American that carries around $10,000 in credit card debt. That is possessed by the things that they think they possess. And they're worn out. And they're weary. And they're overworked. And they're overstressed. And they're overtaxed. And they're overdrawn. You were not intended for that bondage. You have been set free from that bondage. Live free. Live free. Stand firm, okay? Number three. Devote yourself to Jesus and his kingdom. You know, the great thing about God is there's another side to the coin. If you're devoted to money, you'll despise Jesus. But guess what? If you devote yourself to Jesus you'll start to despise the pursuit of wealth. It's crazy. It's crazy. Devote yourself to Jesus. Now, some of you, we've talked about this before. We talk about devoting yourself to Jesus, and you think, oh, no, if I give myself fully to Jesus, He's going to call me to Africa. Well, you know what? Glory, hallelujah. We've had this discussion in our house so many times. Do you know how much easier it is to work for Jesus, in my opinion, in Africa, where people are hungry for the gospel, where you can go sit under a tree, And you can tell people about the Lord and have a worship service. That's easier, friend. So if he calls you to Africa, glory to you. Because you've got an easier mission field, in my opinion. They're hungry for Jesus there. He may call you here. That's what you should be nervous about. You should be nervous about trying to reach this generation of Americans that think that they don't need God. That's what you should be worried about because that's the harder task. And unfortunately, that's the task that God calls most of us to, to make disciples where we are. This is our Jerusalem. We've got to start acting like it. But it'll never happen if you don't give yourself to the Lord. You say, but pastor, I don't know what that looks like. I'm, I'm afraid. You can be afraid. I understand. Here's what we do know. See, even though we don't know what it looks like, here's what we do know. We do know that if we'll submit to God, that He has a plan for our life, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, right? Plans to prosper you. 
to give you hope and a future. How are your plans working out? Just ask him. So here's what we know. God has a great plan for us. And if we'll submit ourselves to his plan, it'll be so much better than where we are. So I I, I would encourage you this morning. Please, please, please. Devote yourself to Jesus. Let go of all this junk, right? Let go of all this pursuit of all this stuff that doesn't matter. Stop pursuing all the stuff that breaks and rusts and is destroyed. Let's start investing in what really matters. And when we do, I promise you this, I can't tell you what it'll look like, but I can tell you that we'll never, ever, ever regret it. Not an ounce. All right? Would you guys pray with me?